very, very thankful for all that the Lord is doing in our lives here. Well, today we wrap up our study of the Sermon on the Mount. And as it was mentioned in Sunday school this morning, it's time for the final exam. So take out a piece of paper and a pen. Y'all aren't getting your pens and paper out. No, you, you understand that it's not really about, the final exam is not really all about what you can dictate back. It's not about how much information you have and whether you can give every jot and tittle of everything that he said in the sermon. The final exam is how we live it. And Jesus is going to bring that to a conclusion today. And he's going to call us to action. The test isn't about how much you know. It's about how many sermons, or rather, it's not about how many sermons you attended. It's about whether you live it. Do we live what we have heard over these 22 messages? It has been so encouraging for me as I've gone through this. I've always wanted to preach through the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm fairly sure I could go back and do it again and find deeper and greater and more amazing truths. I've been so encouraged by it personally, but at the same time very convicted. Have you been convicted? The study of this sermon should lead every one of us to humble dependence. How in the world am I going to do this? I need the Lord. It reminds us of that first verse back in chapter 5. Look back there. First verse of the sermon in chapter 5, verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting how a sermon can all be built on one line. The opening words that come from him Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are broken in heart. Those who are humbled before God. Because after all, as we finish this sermon, we are reminded that we need that first verse and we need to have a heart like that. A heart that recognizes we can't do this, can we? Apart from His grace. We need Him. Today we see Jesus ends the sermon with... Just as much punch as the rest of the sermon. It humbles us. You can't study this sermon without ending on your knees, as we will see. So let's finish up the sermon. I want, to, I want you to bear with me. Uh, Jimmy read it very well, but I want to read it again, because uh, my passage, our passage, because I think it will help us and help us get this context one more time. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell and, a great, and great was its fall. 
So Jesus concludes his sermon right here with these words. It's a call to action. Uh, also, it's a, an, an encouragement or a warning to hear what he said and act on it. To obey his exhortations. Notice he starts his conclusion with the word therefore. Therefore is therefore a reason again. Therefore indicates Jesus is now summing up and concluding with application for his listeners. In light of all he has said, Jesus declares, What you do with what I have said matters. What you do with what I've said is important. The same goes for us. We have spent these 22 messages unfolding this great sermon. We should all know it very well. And if we were to read all the way through the sermon again, I would challenge you to do that in the next week. You would probably understand what most of the sermon means now. We get it, don't we? We know where he's going and what he's talking about and why he contrasts certain things and who he's bringing out the contrast between. We should know what the Lord's will is for each of us who are disciples of Jesus. Now, therefore, let's go and do it. Let's live it. Notice Jesus refers to his whole sermon by these words. He says, these words of mine, these words of mine. He repeats it twice, both for the wise man and then that acts on it, and then for the foolish man that does not act on them. These words of mine. The context points to what? The entire sermon. These words of mine. Jesus authoritatively states, in effect, what I have preached to you, you have heard, you must embrace and obey what I say. There's a distinction between Jesus and every other preacher and the scribes of his day. He says, these words of mine, these words of mine, obey these words of mine. Now, parents can say this to our children, obey these words of mine, do what I say. But no preacher stands up and says, obey what I say. Ultimately, the authority for me or for anybody that preaches the Word of God is the Word of God, not me, the preacher. But Jesus, on the other hand, says, Obey these words of mine, implying that He's the authority. Nobody speaks like this, only the God-man, Jesus. Very interesting how this is going to transition into Him then doing miracles to show that He is Lord. He is master. He is king. He is the Messiah that should be listened to and obeyed. The preacher says, everything that I say lines up with Scripture. That lines up with Scripture, you must obey. Jesus, however, says, you must obey these words of mine. That's his point. Notice in verse 28 and 29, it states, When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority. He has the authority. They saw it. He does have the authority and not as their scribes. The authority of Jesus' words have been revealed throughout the entire sermon. He declared where God's favor is found. 
in the Beatitudes, where true joys found. He revealed the responsibility of the disciples to be lights in the world. He explained God's standard of righteousness in the law. He gave an exposition of the law. He explained the law properly, whereas his world did not understand the law. They twisted the law to make it all about self-righteous promotion. And he said, no, 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 let me explain what the law really means and how it's about our hearts and how we should live. He correctly explained or or exposed the self-righteousness of the Pharisees and how they had misapplied the law. He stated profoundly that the disciples must be perfect as their heavenly Father is perfect. He exposed the hypocrisy of the religious of his day by saying, don't do your acts of righteousness to be noticed by others. These are profound words, aren't they? How Jesus speaks in a way that's not spoken by anybody else with great authority saying, this is the way things are. And this is how it should be. He said there should be an audience of one that we serve, and it's the Heavenly Father. Jesus encouraged the faint-hearted, too. All of us that worry and struggle with the things of the world. He told us not to worry, but to trust in our Heavenly Father, because He provides for us. He spoke as the Lord and Messiah to His people. He spoke as the King, giving direct revelation on how the subjects are to obey. He directly confronted the judgmental spirit of their day, where people sought to elevate themselves by condemning others. Yet he also warned the believers to be discerning, right? Watch out for false teachers. Jesus spoke profoundly of the two ways to live, either on the self-righteous way that is broad and many follow to destruction, Or the humble, dependent way that prays and seeks God in His righteousness that ends in reward with joy with our Father. This was arguably the finest exposition of the law ever given. He showed clearly what God requires. Now at this point, Jesus summarizes. You are wise if you listen And obey these words. But you are foolish if you don't. Plain and simple. Not complicated. It's straightforward. Jesus says exactly what James will echo later on in James chapter 1. Look over there with me. James chapter 1 verse 19. James, I wonder if James heard this sermon. It seems as though he's speaking the exact same way. Obviously, the Holy Spirit's working through James too. Also, this you know, 119, my beloved brethren. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of a person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. It's the same message. Now again, it's very important for us, when we look at passages like this, turn back to Matthew chapter 7, for us to remember context, context, context. The greatest of these is context. Passages like this have been twisted by false teachers ever since Jesus ascended. In fact, the Roman Catholic Church as a whole has taken passages like James chapter 1 and Matthew 5 through 7 and twisted and made a doctrine of works righteousness based on these very words. They've twisted it and turned it upside down. The amazing thing is, is that the very thing that Jesus was confronting in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is then turned around and turned upside down on its head and used to promote the false religion of the Roman Catholicism, of Roman Catholicism. How does this happen? Well, it's because ultimately people don't have a right understanding of the doctrine of salvation. They don't understand what salvation really is. That salvation has three very important parts to it. It's justification, sanctification, and glorification. If you're not careful, and you can root this in all false teaching, they will switch sanctification and justification. They will turn them around. They'll turn them upside down on their head. But we need to understand Jesus' words were talking to disciples. So when he tells us to go and obey, go and do, it assumes something. It assumes the people are already disciples. They're followers. Let's look at this illustration of this diagram. Some of you have already seen this before, but I think it's very important for us to understand there's three parts to salvation. There's justification over here on the left. Justification. There's sanctification. And there's glorification. This is the narrow way. This is salvation. Justification happens. Justification, is to define it, is to be declared righteous by faith in Christ. When we trust in God. When we repent and believe, at that very first moment, we are declared right with God. We are justified. This happens at first repentance and faith. When we turn from our sin, we trust in God, we are declared right with God. Okay? What does that mean? That in the eyes of God, there's been this great exchange. Our sin has been placed on Christ. His death, therefore, paid for our sin, and His righteousness is put into our account. So when God the Father sees us, we are justified, declared right by faith alone. Not by what we do. Not by how good we are. We are declared right with God. This is very important. Then starts the process of sanctification. Sanctification. 
The process of being made righteous by grace through faith. That God then begins to work in us. And cause us to look like Christ. Now this is a rocky road, isn't it? There are ups and downs. We fail, we get up. We fail, we get up. We turn back to God. We're constantly repenting. We're brought, these kind of sermons are brought to our hearts. We go through Matthew chapter 5 to 7 and we say, Wow, I blew it here. I repent. I turn to Him. I get a little bit better. By God's grace, He works in us. We continue to trust in Him. And we slowly but surely begin looking a little bit more like Christ as we get there. But notice, even when we get to the end, we still have miles to go. At the end, we're still a long ways, aren't we? But this process is rocky. Now, where is Jesus talking in this sermon? Who's he talking to? Is he talking to unbelievers or disciples? People that are on this road. He's talking to people on this road. Same thing for James. People on this road. Now, could there people be people in the audience that weren't believers? Oh, yeah, there could have been. There could have been people in the crowd. And all it would do is convict them. It should convict them. It should cause them to do what? Repent for the first time. Turn to Him. Because as He explains how a believer is supposed to live, it should be very convicting for anybody that's not a true believer. Correct? And for the believer that's already been declared right with God, is trusting in God, we now hear these things and we say, Oh, Lord, please forgive me. I need to get better. I need to look more holy. I need to be more righteous. So we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. We're seeking Him. We're learning. We're growing. We're understanding. And as we go through this, maybe we catch ourselves judging people. Thinking, hey, wait, wait. Here I am. I'm elevating myself over somebody. I shouldn't do that. Jesus said not to do that. Lord, forgive me. Change me. That's one of those dips where you're down here and you're being self-righteous. And you think, oh, well, I'm better than them. You don't say it that way, but you think it. So the process of sanctification is being made righteous by grace through faith. So when Jesus is speaking in this whole sermon, he's making the point that disciples should be perfect as their heavenly father is perfect. You say, well, I'm not perfect. But we are striving to become mature and look like our Father. Be holy as I am holy? Okay, that's what I'm attempting by the grace of God to do. Now, this is direction, not perfection, and there are numerous stumbling and bumbling along, right? But that's where we're headed. The disciple of Jesus is a person who has already turned from their sin and is trusting in God. Now, why is this so important to explain this again? Because all too often people turn this around. And they think that you somehow have to clean yourself up before God then accepts you and justifies you. And by all these acts that he's requiring in here, if you don't do them, you're not going to heaven. If you don't do it perfectly, you're not going to heaven. Clean yourself up and then God will accept you. It doesn't work that way. 
The way we are saved is by faith in Christ, what He's done. See, do you understand that we all fall way miserably short of everything He said in this? Do you understand? As we've gone through all these sermons, you might have been convicted. And you might have said in your heart, Well, I don't do that, but I do do that. I'm pretty good at that. Do you understand that you're probably still blind to a lot of this sin? You still have a lot further to go than you think you do. Because something happens as we mature in our walk with the Lord. We start seeing Jesus for who he really is, and he also shows us a little bit more of our hearts. And they are what? Desperately sick. They're constantly in need of repentance and change. All of us are in this process. But you want to hear some good news? Here's the good news. My salvation, my justification, my status with God is not based on how perfectly I keep this. Because if it was based on how perfectly I kept this, I'm going to hell. Do you understand? And any of you in here that think, well, I'm getting better and I look good enough to go to heaven, you've missed the whole point of the sermon. No. What's striking to me is that the response at the end is this. When Jesus finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for his teaching was teaching them as one having authority, not as scribes. Look at verse eight, or chapter 8, verse 1. When Jesus came down the mountain, large crowds followed him. So he got lots of people following him. What is missing? There is something that seems to be missing in all this. Where is brokenness? Where is people going, wow, that was impossible. Help. Now, I know I'm reading in the white spaces, but wouldn't you think? How many of you have been convicted by these messages over the 22 weeks? How many of you have gone to the Lord confessing that sin? Numerous times? Why isn't that in here? Where is it? Their great sorrow broke out all over the land. And everybody that was listening to the sermon fell on their faces and cried out, What do we do? Help save us. It's not there. He speaks with authority. I want to hear what he says. I'm going to follow him. Where is the repentance? You would think that it would be recorded. What happens in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preaches this sermon? What happens? They cry out, What do we do? There's repentance. I don't think the people got it completely. I don't even think the disciples completely got it. What did they need? They needed a Savior. They needed someone to do it for them. That's the great news of all this. You know who is the embodiment of the Sermon on the Mount? The one who preached it. 
Let me tell you, folks, if there was one thing that's the hardest thing about being a pastor and a preacher is that I have to get up here and speak to you and tell you, thus says the Lord, and realize that I still fall way miserably short of what I'm preaching. I know I'm just a man. But Jesus stands up and speaks, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, and then what does he do? He's perfect. He did it. And he fulfilled the law to a T. He did everything perfectly his entire life. And he lived it beautifully. All these great truths. He knew exactly when people had a problem with him. He would go over and reconcile. And he was gracious and kind. He was perfect. And then what did they do? What did the same people that he had come to save, what did they do to him? They killed him. They murdered him. And he died on a cross. See, this is what sanctification does. A great message on sanctification does one main thing. As we see that we're not doing it, we're failing, but we turn back to God as we fail and turn back to God. A great message on, t- on sanctification also exposes our heart. And it exposes our ultimate need is not in fixing ourselves. Because I can't fix myself. My hope is ultimately in the one who did it. So if you're not careful and you don't read this sermon in context, what you're going to end up doing is you're going to say that my sanctification determines whether or not I'm able to save myself and deliver myself. And that's a horrible place to be. So you say, well, why are you spending so much time on this? Well, because he's just about to give these words that say what? If you don't do it, you're a fool. And if you do do it, You're wise. So look at these words again in Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears the words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell and great was its fall. So beloved, when we look at this, we see that Jesus gives, he compares the wise and the foolish in his final illustration. He's done this a couple of times, hasn't he? Almost all the way through the sermon, he's given illustrations. This time it's an illustration of building a house. It doesn't talk about whether the houses are different, or it doesn't talk about the styles of the house. It doesn't talk about that. It just assumes, he just assumes, that two houses have two totally different foundations. That's the main point. What is the foundation of the builder? The wise people build on a rock, whereas the foolish person builds on sand. 
A wise person are the ones that heed the word of God, heed what Christ has said, the ones that listen and then obey. Those are the wise people. The foolish people are those that hear the word but then reject it and don't follow through. Jesus gives this perfect word illustration for us to see. The person who is wise is like the man who built his house on the rock. Again, don't go too far with this. Is the rock Jesus. Don't go in and don't mix your metaphors. It's very simple. If you hear the word and obey the word, you're wise. <laughs> if you hear the word and don't obey the word, you're what? You got it. Not complicated, is it? For the believer, this makes sense, doesn't it? The person who is foolish is like the man who built his house on sand. And the winds came and the rain came and it falls. The important note here is, is that it does allude to the trials and temptations of life by what happens to the houses. How do we know whether or not we are legit disciples of Christ? Well, Jesus has already said how we can know a false teacher, can't we? He knows by the fruit, correct? We can also know a lot about what happens in our own hearts when trials come, when tests come, when the things of the world come upon us, when temptations come upon us. If we hear and then obey the word in the midst of the trial, then we're wise, And no matter what comes against us, we continue to hold on to the Word of God. We continue to hold on to Christ. We continue to hold on to the truth that we know. But for the one that is foolish, when trials come, they're swept away. Again, we see this, don't we? How many of you have seen a believer or a professing believer that you've known for years and years, all of a sudden just start drifting? away and you wonder what in the world why i used to listen to this person this person used to be able to explain the gospel so well and now they're gone what was it well i would argue that their foundation was broke wrong it was on the sand they really had not truly embraced the word of god They really had not embraced what Christ had said. They weren't truly about obeying Him. Their hearts were not submitted to the authority of Christ, and therefore they drifted away. That's scary, isn't it? But where do we go? Where do we go when things get difficult? Where do we go when a false teacher comes in with something that tickles our ears? And we say, well, that sounds kind of good. That means I can do all of this and still be saved? And still be fine? Need to be careful, don't we? Need to evaluate whether our foundation is Christ and His Word or it's our works and what we do. Remember what Jesus had said in verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. If we are walking in unrepentant sin, beloved, 
There should be concerns in our heart. There really should. So the question, the natural question, as we come to the end of this sermon, are you wise or are you foolish? Are you committed to the Lord and His Word or are you committed to your works and your righteousness? Is it authoritative in your life? He spoke as the Son of God. Will we listen and obey? So I thought it best that we end the way we started. Turn back to Matthew chapter 5. Turn back to Matthew chapter 5. And by the grace of God, we're going to read it again. And then I'm going to ask one question and close. Here we go. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under by fit men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a lampstand, it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 21. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. 
First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way. So that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. You have heard that it is said, it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than the whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off, throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of unchastity makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows. But shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be, yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other one to him also. If anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt and let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do, you not even the tax, do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than the others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor... Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites 
For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into the inner room, close your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying... Do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others for your transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Whenever you fast, Do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of a body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. For this reason I say to you, Do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink nor your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap, gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet as I say to you, that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? 
Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Chapter 7. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, behold, and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take out the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. What man is there among you when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit. But the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house. 
Yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Are you a wise man or a foolish man? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. These words are great, and mighty, powerful, glorious, convicting, humbling, beautiful, wonderful, glorious words. Lord, all of us in the room recognize that our ability in the flesh is is failing. We cannot do this, Lord. But we trust you. We know that Christ did what we couldn't do. And because of what Christ did, his spirit came. And because the spirit indwells our hearts, we are able to obey you. We thank you, Father, for working in our lives. We pray that you will help us to be lights in this world, to reflect this sermon in our lives. We want to be doers, not just hearers of your word. We pray that Grace Bible Church will be a church in a community that will display this light to the world. Father, please help us. Thank you for Christ Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our Master, and the one who loves us so much that he would tell us what we should do and where we should go in order to have true joy. We praise you, Father, for all that you are doing. We ask that you complete in us the work that you have started. Help us to obey. Lord, we also pray for those in this room that don't know you, that are on the Broadway presently. They're trying to achieve righteousness by their own doing, and they're failing miserably, and they don't know where to go. We pray, Lord, that they, you will grant repentance and faith to them, that they will turn from their sin, and they will trust in the Christ who came into the world to die to pay for their sin that they will trust in Him, and that they will obey Him. Help us, Father. Help us all to share the good news of Your Son with this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.